0: I didn't mention this a moment ago when I was doing our, uh, our welcome time and, and uh, doing the responsive reading together as we lit the Advent candle, but I do want to say that if you are a guest with us today, we're glad to have you with us on this uh, cold, what's starting to feel like wintry morning, and in the back of the pew in front of you, there are some guest registration cards. If you're a guest, we would ask you to take that registration card and fill that out. And then toward the end of our service today, when we receive our offering, if you would drop that in the offering plate for us, that'll be your gift to us as a, a guest today. We want to know that you are here with us in worship so that we can uh, keep track of, of the folks that are coming, but also because we want to be able to pray with you and help you, connect you with the life of our church. If there are any ministries for our children, our youth, or otherwise, that we can connect you with, a group where you can connect with other people and and belong, we certainly want to connect you in any way that we can. And so if you'll take a moment and fill that out, we desire to get you connected to the life of our family here at First Baptist. Also, let me say this, today being the fifth Sunday, you can tell by the the table in front of me that we will receive the Lord's Supper together today as a part of our worship. That part of our our, uh, habit, if you will, is that on the months that have a fifth Sunday, we Typically, receive the Lord's Supper together on those fifth Sundays, and that happens to be today. Also, for about a year and a half now, on Sunday nights, when there has been a fifth Sunday, we have been meeting together with other churches in our area for a time of prayer at the high school. But this is different this week. The fact that this fifth Sunday fell on a weekend that's right after a holiday, what we have done, and, and I say we, we, we didn't actually have a part of it, but what happened with the group that plans this is that the prayer gathering was moved from the fifth Sunday to the fourth Sunday of the month to accommodate the holiday and, and the fact that it fell on a holiday weekend. And so that actually happened. We advertised it. We, if, you, if you caught word of that, that happened last Sunday at five o'clock. So not only was the date changed, the time was changed as well last Sunday. And so the, this evening at six o'clock, we will have normal activities, our, our children's activities, RAs, GAs, children's choir, those things happen as normal tonight. We have a service here at six o'clock this evening for those who aren't involved in leadership or help in those areas with our kids, our preschoolers. And so we're going to invite you back tonight at six o'clock. I understand there's been a little bit of confusion because it is kind of a, a break from what has become the recent norm, the recent pattern for these fifth Sundays. But We do want to make sure that you know that we are having church tonight. It is different from the way things have been the last few Fifth Sundays, and so if you'll just take note of that change. This morning we're going to be in John chapter 11. We are working our way through the seven I Am statements that Jesus makes in the Gospel of John. And In each of these statements, He is revealing to us both His person and His work and so as we study this passage this morning, we're going to zero in on Jesus' statement in John eleven twenty five, 25, where he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And so this morning, a, a very important, very timely passage for us as we enter into the season of Advent, because it's, again, a reminder to us that because Jesus came As a humble child, because he offered himself as a sacrifice given for us, more than that, because he was resurrected from the dead, now he gives life to those who by faith place their trust in him. And so he is the resurrection and the life, and all who believe in him will not die, but will live eternally with him. And so we want to study this passage uh, this, this morning. And as we do that, you're going to see on the back of your worship guide, there's a place where you can follow along and, and keep up with the, the notes uh, as we work our way through this study in John chapter 11. We're actually going to begin in verse 1 and we're going to read in its context the whole of this story of what's happening in John chapter 11 as Jesus is, is dealing with the death of his friend and, and his, his really beloved friend, Lazarus, and Lazarus' family and the other's around him. So I want to invite you to read with me in the story of John chapter 11. And as we work our way through this, I want us to see this, that through the story of Lazarus' death, we find the love of Jesus demonstrated in five particular ways that that I want to point out as we work our way through this passage this morning. Five ways that we see the demonstration of Jesus' love, both in how he dealt with the news of Lazarus' death and also in the way that he demonstrated his power through raising Lazarus from the dead. And so the first thing that we see is that Jesus' love is demonstrated in this story with his patience, with his patience. And so read with me, beginning in verse 1 in John chapter 11. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and his sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, that's in a particularly important verse, because we see that Jesus has an awareness and understanding of what's happening here that the others do not have and that particular understanding that awareness that he has both of what's happening with Lazarus and also with his own revelation that will come through this story th- these things are very important verse 5 now Jesus loved Mary and her, or Martha rather and her sister uh, Lazarus so when he heard that Lazarus was ill he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. And then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. So as Jesus receives the news that Lazarus is ill, rather than leaving straight away to go and to be with Mary and Martha and Lazarus, rather than going to be with him and take care of this illness, notice that Jesus says, this illness that Lazarus has will not lead to death. Now, that's important because what we find is that actually in the story, Lazarus does die. So Jesus isn't, uh, he, he's not taken surprise by this. He's not, uh, he, he's not powerless over Lazarus. That, that, that's not what's happening here. Rather, it shows that Jesus has an awareness of how these events will unfold, and he knows that after Lazarus has Died, that he will raise him from the dead as a demonstration of his power and his authority, and also as a foreshadowing of his own resurrection, pointing the way to the fact that he is literally the resurrection and the life, as we'll see in verse 25. So, this is important the timing of these events, and more importantly than that, the patience that Jesus shows in all of this. Now, it would have been easy because Jesus did love Lazarus and he loved Lazarus' sisters. It would have been easy for Jesus to have said, no, I, I need to go and I need to take care of this, right, to, to say immediately, we, we've got to deal with this. Lazarus is ill. I need to go and I need to save him. I need to rescue him from everything that he's about to go through. I need to save and spare his sisters from the, the disappointment and the pain that they're going to walk through. But Jesus knew that there would be a clear demonstration of His power in the way that he would raise Lazarus from the dead, and and that even that would point toward faith in him. And so he he was patient in this moment, waiting for the ultimate timing to be fulfilled here of of these things which were to come. And so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, verse 6 says, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. He waited Have you ever been in a situation in your life where you really wanted God to do something and you really wanted Him to do it now and it didn't seem like God was maybe in in a hurry the same way that you were, that maybe it didn't seem like God... it, it might appear, it might feel like God didn't care about this as much as you cared about it, that God, that God didn't see how important this certain thing really was because He wasn't acting and He wasn't moving according to your timetable and your agenda. The, the truth is, any of us who have been a believer for really any length of time at all have experienced this, this angst of wanting to see God move, of wanting to see him work in a way that fits with what we see and what we know and what we think is best. And yet what Jesus demonstrates in the story of Lazarus, what he demonstrates time and again in our lives, is that his timing is always perfect. His timing is always right. Some of the most difficult times that we have in life are those, those times, those seasons when we have to wait on God's timing, when we have to wait for things to unfold according to his plan. And, and I'll be honest, if, if I were Jesus, we'd be in trouble because I would be very impatient. I would have difficulty with patience and waiting for the perfect timing of things to unfold. But praise God, I'm not Jesus. You're not dependent upon me. Your salvation rests on the one who is, who is truly both God and man, the one who, who was truly good. And he was perfectly... Patient, as we see in this story. When I was in college, I had a professor. His name was Albert Bouquet, Doctor Albert Bouquet, and I had Doctor Bouquet for several different uh, classes. I I majored in psychology, and there was a particular class that you took in your junior year of of school, or typically in in your in your third year of study. That was called. Oh, gosh, I'm going to have a hard time remembering. I'm getting old when I can't think of the name of the class, right? But essentially, it was experimental psychology. There it is. It popped in my head. It was a class where upperclassmen who were psych majors performed psychology experiments, and they used underclassmen as their subjects, if you will, for these different experiments. And so every underclassman in a general psych class was required to participate And five of these upperclassmen experiments is a part of their grade. And as a junior, when I was performing this experiment and kind of going through that particular class, Dr. Bouquet, who was my professor for this class, would tell our class again and again, he would say, okay, the semester is going to get crazy, and you're going to get to a place in your experiment where it's going to be hectic, and as the semester begins to wind down... Things are going to not all line up the way that you want. And as you start to process the results of your study and you use all of these statistics that we had learned through these statistical analysis classes that we were required to take leading up to this. And he, he says, as you begin to use all of this and it all begins to fall together, it, it's gonna be, there are going to be some bumps in the road, he would tell us. And he would say, I want you to remember this, that my office will be open. I'm available to meet with you during the hours that I've laid out the hours that I keep for students, and I would be more than happy. But what's going to happen is if you procrastinate and you wait till the end of the semester, you're going to need to cram it in. And I'm just going to tell you, I won't be available outside of the hours that I've given you. And this is the line that he would say to us. He said it multiple times that semester. He said, I want you to remember, your emergencies are not my emergencies. Sure enough, as the semester began to wind down, every one of us in this class reached that moment of crisis where it's not working the way that we thought it was. I've started to process through, and I remember trying to get in to see Dr. Bouquet, and, and it wasn't at a time when you know he was keeping office hours, and, it, and, and I had to sort of rework my schedule and, and inconvenience myself to get in to see him, and, and that line stuck with me. Your emergencies are not my emergencies. That's what he would tell our class over and again. Sometimes in life, you know, that's what it feels like with the Lord. That sometimes it feels like it's as if God is saying to us, your emergencies are not my emergencies. Now, hear what, I, hear what I mean when I say this. I don't mean that the things that burden us and the things that matter to us don't matter to Him. That's not the case. I don't mean that the things that trouble us and worry us and and cause us concern and anxiety, that God cares nothing for those things. In fact, it's really the opposite of that. Jesus tells us to cast our burdens on him and and to... rather to rest in Him, to find our peace and our rest in Him, to take His yoke upon us, He says, because His yoke is easy and His burden is light. He instructs us as believers to rest in Him, not to be anxious, not to be worrisome. He, he cares for our concerns. He, the things that matter to us matter to Him. But sometimes we tend to think that whatever is happening is, is an immediate emergency, and we fall victim to what's been labeled as the tyranny of the urgent, right? And those things that are happening right now, as if this is everything. And yet, God, who has an eternal perspective, who is able to see things from a perspective that we lack, knows what is best, and knows what timing is perfect, and in all things, He's He's perfectly patient in our lives, and He's not willing to to sacrifice what is best for the sake of relieving our anxieties in those moments where we become worried. He's not willing to sacrifice what is best to rush forward just so that we might not have to walk through a little bit of uh, of anxiety or where instead what he says is in those moments cast those cares on me and what that means is that we would rather than rather than trying to control things on our own that we would trust in him trust in his perfect timing in our lives and when we do that we find that he is perfectly patient just as we see here with jesus so jesus love for lazarus is demonstrated to the fact that he did not rush to lazarus aid when lazarus was ill Think about what that could mean for your life. Think about the the implications, the ramifications for that in your life, that sometimes God's love is demonstrated because He doesn't give in to what you think you need in the moment. Sometimes God's love is most perfectly demonstrated for you in His patience and His willingness to let you walk through some things in order that He might deliver you from them. So, Jesus' love was demonstrated through his patience. We see. Secondly, we see this that Jesus' love was demonstrated in this situation by an awareness of his purpose. There's an awareness of his purpose that is demonstrated in, in the way that he times his actions in all of this. Keep reading with me. We left off in chapter 11 with verse 7. Let's go to verse 8. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? This is referring to Judea. And Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light, uh, because the light is not in him. And after saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. But I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. And now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. Verse 15, and for your sake, he says, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. And so notice that Jesus is not, is not unaware of what is happening in this situation. Jesus is not, is not tricked or fooled into thinking that Lazarus has just fallen asleep, but he's speaking of the fact that Lazarus will be raised from the dead, that Lazarus was not going to to stay dead because he was going to bring him back to life in this situation. And all of this fits with Jesus' purpose. Notice what he says in verse 15. For your sake, I am glad that I was not there. Why, he says? So that you may believe. So that you may believe. Now, I I want to jump forward in the story just a moment. I, I want to skip to a part that we're going to come back and read as we process through the whole of the story. But I want to jump to verse 42, because in verse 42, we find another statement that Jesus makes that, that gives us the, the glimpse that, that he knows what's happening here. He's fully aware. There's an awareness of his purpose in this moment. Look in verse 42. I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. So in all of this, we find Jesus shows a a stark awareness of what's happening. There's an awareness of his purpose. And his purpose, more than just raising Lazarus from the dead, his purpose is to point others toward faith and belief in him as the one who has power over sin and death. And so he says in verse 15, For your sake, I'm glad that I was not there. I'm glad that I wasn't there when Lazarus passed. So that you may believe. Jesus always acts in a way that points us toward belief in him. Jesus will always act in a way that is in alignment with his purpose for our lives. And his purpose for our lives is that we would believe in him. So that all who believe in him, as he says in verse 25, shall never die, that we may live eternally through faith in Jesus. There was an awareness here of his purpose that drove him beyond the circumstances of the moment. And, and we know that Jesus loved Lazarus. We know that Jesus loved Mary and Martha. It tells us in verse 5, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Jesus loved these people. He didn't want to see them hurt. He didn't want to see them go through pain. And yet, his desire to draw them toward belief in him, faith in him was greater. And so he was demonstrating his love for them, true love for them with an awareness of his purpose. Third, we see this. Jesus demonstrates his love with his power over death. His power over death. Let's keep reading in verse 17. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus Your brother will rise again. Your brother will rise again, he says. Verse 24 Martha said to him, I know that he will rise in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then the important question do you believe this? Do you believe this? And she said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. And when she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, who, uh, but rather was still in the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out. They followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying, notice she says the same thing here that Martha had said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said... Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Verse 35. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Some were doubting Jesus' power. But notice here in verse 38 and following the, the demonstration of his power. And then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he's been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Jesus, in raising Lazarus from the dead, demonstrates his power over death. His power over death. Do you see it? That here he raises Lazarus from the dead to demonstrate, to show that he has power over death. The grave could not hold Lazarus when Jesus spoke those words, Lazarus, come out. It didn't matter that he had been dead for four days. In that moment, in that moment, life came into his dead body. In that moment, he was awoken from his sleep as Jesus had referred to it. Because Jesus has power over death. I think it's interesting that Jesus doesn't just say in verse 25, I am the way of resurrection. And he doesn't just say, I am going to be resurrected. And he doesn't say, I have the power to resurrect Lazarus. Notice what he says in verse 25. This is so important. I am the resurrection and the life. See, Jesus was not, just, was not just able to resurrect Lazarus. He was literally the embodiment of this power that would raise Lazarus from the dead, the same power that would ultimately raise him from the dead because he was both God and man, fully, fully man and yet at the same time fully God. And as God, he had power over all things. Death couldn't hold him. Death couldn't keep him in his grave just as it couldn't keep Lazarus in his grave. Jesus has power over death. And so when he speaks those words, I am the resurrection and the life, he's demonstrating his power. You know, what's interesting about this part of the story is that when when dead things experience the power of Jesus, they come alive. Think about that. When dead things experience the power of Jesus, they come alive. When when the power of God touches someone, then they experience life in a way that they've never known it. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. Everyone who believes in me will never die. And then he asked that important question in verse 26. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? The question that I would ask this morning is the same. Do you believe this? Do you believe in the power of God that was able to conquer death, both the death of Lazarus and ultimately his own death on the cross? By faith, if you would trust in the resurrection and the life, Jesus says, you shall never die. Now, what does that mean that you will never die? Because we've known a lot of people who've trusted in Jesus and, and and they've died right just yesterday there was a funeral service here in 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 our building for a, a local pastor who had died a pastor of another congregation who had passed away recently and this room was full of people who were here to remember him and and celebrate his legacy and and the work that he had done in the lives of of so many people that he had ministered to and and now we think backward in time, just in the life of our church this fall, we have lost so many dear people who've passed away, people who believed in Jesus, who trusted Him as Lord and Savior. Surely Jesus can't mean that, that you will live forever, right? Of course, we know that He's speaking here not of a physical death, but of a spiritual death. Because Paul writes that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, right? That, that to be absent from this life means to be in the presence of Jesus. And truly those who have gone on are more alive at this moment than they've ever been because they are experiencing the fulfillment of this promise that if by faith, if we believe in Him, He says, though He die, yet shall He live. We'll experience eternal life through trusting in Jesus Christ the question is, do you believe this? Do you believe? Has there ever been that moment in your life when by faith you have believed in Jesus and trusted him as your Lord and Savior? That's the point of all of this, right? Jesus says it plainly, that these things are happening so that you may believe. Do you believe? His love is demonstrated through his patience, through his awareness of his purpose, through his power over death, Not just that, his love is demonstrated in this story through his presence. Through his presence in the lives of of these that he loves. Notice, Mary and Martha both say the same thing to Jesus when when they meet him. They both say, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And yet, what was it that Jesus said to his disciples? It's better that I wasn't there Why? So that you may believe. Jesus understood what they needed in this moment. He understood that this was a moment that called for a demonstration of His power. This was a moment that called for a divine miracle that might point them toward belief and faith in Him as the one who has power to raise the dead to life. Not only in Lazarus' example, but also in His own. And so because of his awareness of that timing, because of his patience, because of his power over death, Jesus waited in all of these things. And yet in the midst of all of this, what do we see? We see a a side of Jesus' humanity at work here as well. So we've we've talked about the, the side of his divinity at work, that he had power over death, he had power to raise Lazarus from the dead, but look at the glimpses into the side of his humanity that are at work here as well. Verse 33 says that when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, it says he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Now, Bible scholars have spent pages and pages writing and talking about what does this mean that Jesus was deeply moved? Was he deeply moved because he was moved with compassion in this moment? Because he saw Mary and Martha weeping because he. He, he saw all of this happening and it, it just stirred his heart because he too loved Lazarus. Was he deeply moved just by the emotion of the moment? Other scholars have supposed that what was happening here is that Jesus wasn't moved in the sense that he was emotional because of the loss, because he knew all along what was going to happen. And instead, it was almost a, an anger or a frustration over just the fallenness of sin and the and the and the pain and the chaos that that brings into the lives of his people. I would say this that I think that it was in some way all of these things, right? That it was the empathy that Jesus had for people whom he loved that he saw their brokenness and their mourning. At the same time, it was the, the the frustration that he would experience with the fallenness knowing that that Here are people that he loved that were broken and hurt. And knowing that in a matter of days, literally, he was going to deliver them from all of this and yet experiencing the the angst of that moment because the timing was not yet right for the fulfillment of his ultimate purpose, for his sacrifice. And, And so all of that rolled together came to this moment where Jesus weeps over the situation. He wept. Here, which is really in many ways, it it points us to his presence in the lives of these people that he loved. Jesus was with them in the midst of their pain, and that's the part that I don't want you to miss. Although Jesus understood perfectly the timing of everything that needed to happen here, although he had a great awareness of the purpose, and although he has the power to deliver them if he chose to, instead, in this moment, he chose to be with them in the midst of their pain, He was present in the midst of their pain. Truth is that Jesus always is, is, is always present with us in the midst of our pain as well. He's always present with us in those moments when our hearts are burdened, when we go through the, the angst, the longing, the disappointment, the, the, the pain of this life. Jesus is always present with the people whom He loves. Just as he was present in the lives of his his dear loved ones here. And so it's a demonstration of his love for them. That he was present for them. That he was with them. Even that he wept in this moment. And then finally we see this. This final demonstration of Jesus' love is his heart for people. His heart for people. Jesus was moved by what was happening here he was deeply moved, it said in verse 33, and then later it tells us again that he was, that he was deeply moved by all of this. Jesus, Jesus was present with his people, but we also see that he has a heart for people. He has a heart for people here. And in his love for people... He hurt because they were hurting. In His love for people, He hurt at the brokenness that caused all of this pain in their lives, knowing that it was ultimately something much greater even than just physical death that was behind all of this pain. It was the brokenness of a fallen world of sin and the chaos that it brings into our lives. And yet, still knowing in the midst of all of this that in a matter of days, He would offer his life as the ultimate sacrifice for all of these things. Offering redemption, restoration, making new what was broken. And it was because of all of this that Jesus was able to say, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. This morning, in just a moment, we're going to celebrate together the resurrection of Jesus through His sacrifice for us on the cross, His body that was broken for us, His blood that was spilled for us, and these elements that are a reminder to us of of that sacrifice. And yet, through all of this this morning, I don't want you to miss this important point. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in him though they die yet shall they live do you believe i want to ask our, our deacons that are helping with the lord's supper if they would make their way to the front this morning and as they make their way down i want to call us to a time of prayer and reflection as we move now into celebrating the lord's supper together and I want to ask in this moment if you, would, if you would do this with me today, that you would prayerfully think on and reflect on your life and your experience. Think on the, the things that you've lived through. Think on the, the things that burden you even now at this point in your life, the things that trouble you, the things that, that burden and pain your heart. And I want you to know that in the midst of all of that, Jesus has this word to say to you this morning, I am the resurrection and the life. And if anyone believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live.